Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, Kinds of Prayer, Part 1. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Let's look over in um, Ephesians chapter 6. We started ministering on prayer. The very first thing we ministered about prayer is about how that the first and primary purpose of prayer is to establish a relationship with the Lord. And all of the other teaching about prayer is not going to benefit you the way that it should until you get your foundation established. Now, there's a ministry of helps. Amen. Praise God. But you see what happens, like, for instance, many people have criticized Hagen and Copeland and other people that are preaching faith uh, and saying that it's out of balance and all of these kind of things. But what actually is happening is, you see, these people have made a commitment of their life to the Lord. They have their foundation established. But when they come across and want to tell you the things that really activated the faith, the, the principles that put it all into practice, they aren't able to share everything that they've learned in their entire life with you in one hour's worth of teaching. So they share kind of just the cream off of the, you know, the top. And that's what they share with you. And it does produce and it does bring results. And they are scriptural principles from the Word. But many people are missing, you see, the foundation that they've already laid. And so they try and take the things that do work and try and work them without, first of all, establishing the proper foundation. They aren't committed. They're trying these things. Many times we use these formulas and stuff as a lever against God. And the Christian life is not a formula, praise God. It's a lifestyle. The Bible says that the just shall live by faith. That means to have your existence by faith. Everything that you do, you ought to be able to live and move and have your being in faith. And see, a lot of people are trying to take the principles and work them. It doesn't work that way. Amen? So anyway, the reason I'm saying this is that what we've been talking about, the foundation of prayer, will make the things that you've learned about how to pray in faith believing begin to function the way that they should. You can't take just one aspect of the Word of God and try and work it and neglect some other aspect. Amen? A true balance, a scriptural balance, is keeping the entire Word of God functional in your life instead of just getting one aspect. A true balance is not 50% faith and 50% unbelief. Amen? Praise God. So that's what we talked about first. It's about establishing a personal relationship with the Lord. Then last uh, night we began talking about how you do this, and we talked about meditating the Word of God. And I got really ministered to last night about how that we should meditate and about what it will produce within us. And that is also a form of prayer. What I'd like to talk about now is begin to get into some of the different kinds of prayer and start sharing with you about different forms of prayer. This is another thing that has been a hindrance in our prayer life is that many people don't realize that there are different kinds of prayer and they operate differently. And because of it, they sit here and they think that, you know, prayer, anytime you're praying in any form or fashion, that that's all there is to it. But there's certain times that if you're praying in a certain way, it's inappropriate. It's not the right thing to do. Kenneth Hagin says that it's like uh, playing football. You know, football and baseball are both games, but they're different games. And you don't play baseball by football rules. And if you try it, you aren't going to have very good success. And see, this is what's happening with a lot of people. They, they have seen one form of prayer, and they always try and operate in that one form of prayer, not realizing there's a, there's a lot of different ways to pray. And a lack of understanding of this has caused a lot of problems. We talked about meditation. Meditation is a form of prayer out of Psalms chapter 5. It calls it prayer. Meditation is prayer. And because many people have not been aware of the value of meditating the Word of God, then they have let Satan condemn them sometimes that they haven't been in prayer. When all day long they may have been praying all day, see, meditating on the things of God, but not reaping the benefits and the advantages of it because they weren't aware of what was going on. 
So meditation is one form of prayer that I believe has really been neglected. Here in Ephesians chapter 6, this is where he's talking about putting on the armor. He says that we have to put it on. God provides the armor, but you're the one that puts it on. Amen. And he talks about this. And at, and at the end of this, it says in verse 18, right after it talks about taking all of these pieces of the armor, it says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it talks about different types of prayer. It says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks should be made for all men everywhere. The reason I use this scripture is to show you, he says we're supposed to pray with all prayer. That means that there are different kinds of prayer. You're supposed to be using every avenue available to you in praying and coming before the Lord. There are different types of prayer, and they function differently. And because people haven't understood this, they've been doing a lot of wrong praying. Amen. Now, prayer is the way that we communicate with God. It's the way that you ask and believe that you receive, and you need to understand how prayer works to be able to get the right results out of it. One area that I'd like to focus on today, and we'll probably get into some other things, but one area I'd like to focus on is the difference between a prayer of petition and a prayer of intercession. Now, there's a difference between the two. A prayer of petition, the word petition means that you have asked for something or made a request, a formal request or... Uh, asking for something before the Lord. It says, out of 1 John chapter 5, verse 14 and 15, it says, This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, we know that He hears us, and if we know that He hears us, then whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we've desired of Him. So right there he explains what a petition is. A petition, not a partition, a petition. I had a guy in Kansas City come up and give me a piece of paper that had the difference between picture... And, well, anyway, whatever the difference is between those two words, trying to get me to talk right, amen. Well, praise God. Lord loves me anyway. It doesn't matter whether you call it a petition or a partition. I mean, it's, a, it's an ask for something in prayer, praise God. So he shows us that a petition is when you're asking for something, and a prayer of petition is different from a prayer of praise. Praise is not asking for something. It's different from a prayer of intercession. It's different from a lot of different things. Sad to say, most people operate nearly exclusively in a prayer of petition. And there are certain rules that govern a prayer of petition. Like, for instance, the old standbys that most of us have heard, and we thought that Kenneth Copeland wrote it. I mean, Kenneth Hagin wrote it. I heard a lot of people talk about it. They quote from Hagin. Mark, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 23 and 24. I think it was Kenneth Copeland said he thought Kenneth Hagin wrote that for a long time. He didn't know it was in the Bible. But it says that, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith he shall, shall come to pass, he shall have whatsoever he saith. Now that's teaching on faith. That didn't say a thing about praying. This, before we get into this about the petition, let me say that there are certain times that we pray when you shouldn't be praying. Do you know it? There's lots of times we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, please do this, and we go to asking the Lord, and you know, you shouldn't even be talking to the Lord about it. Now, a lot of, oh, well, brother, I just can't believe that. I thought we were supposed to pray about everything. No, Mark chapter 11, verse 23 says that you are supposed to say to the mountain, what's your mountain? It's your problem, whatever's standing in between you and God. You speak to your mountain, to the problem. And you see, a lot of us go to the Lord saying, oh, Lord, do something about the devil on my back. The Lord will not rebuke the devil for you, amen. Mark chapter 16 says, These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They cast out devils. You're the one that has the authority over devils. He gave you authority and power. And if you don't take your authority and power, and if you don't speak to the demonic spirit, 
then brothers and sisters, you can pray about it to God all you want to, and it'll never move. You'll never see any deliverance because God has committed that power and authority to you. And did you know the same things happened with healing? The Bible says, by his stripes we were healed. Out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it's already God's will that we prosper and be in health even as our soul prospers. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says he's already blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Healing is one of those spiritual blessings. Brothers and sisters, it's already done. The Lord is not the one that you're waiting on to heal you. The Lord has already provided it, released it. It is done, and you're wrong to go and say, Oh, Lord, heal me. Now, don't get me wrong. If your attitude is correct in this, I'm not saying that you can't get healed that way. But say, for instance, if I gave Dick the keys to my van, and if I gave them to him, you know, and said, It's yours. Anytime you want to use it, fine, it's yours. But then if he came up to me and he says, can I use your van? It depends on how he means that. If he knew that what I said I meant, and if he knew that he didn't have to ask, but if he was just going through it as a kind of a formality, you know, just saying, I'm ready, I'm going to use it now, okay? You know, that would be all right and it'd be fine. But if he was to come up saying, well, I'm not sure you really meant it before. Did you really mean that I could use your van? Would you please let me use your van? What am I going to do? I've already given him my word. I've given him my keys. You see, that would be total doubt and unbelief. And did you know that's the same reaction that a lot of us are getting from God? You're begging and pleading, God, do something, and it sounds like it's dead on the other end of the line, silent. You know why? Because he's already done everything he could do. He's already done it. You're asking God to do something that he's already done. The problem isn't God. The problem is that we haven't believed and understood that he did what he did, and we haven't understood the responsibility, the power that God's given us. We've been praying to the wrong person. There's times that you aren't supposed to pray. You're just supposed to believe that God did what he said he'd do, and you command that sickness, disease, mountain, whatever your mountain is, to get out of the way. Amen? That's what Mark 11:23 23 is saying. You say to your mountain, be thou removed. Don't say to God, Lord, remove the mountain. Speak to your mountain and command the mountain to get out of your way. Y'all see that? Do you see that? There's a time you shouldn't even pray about things. Amen? You ought to act on what God's already said in his word. Praise the Lord. So that's what Mark 11:23 23 is saying. Then in verse 24, it says, whatsoever things you... Let's see... Therefore, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them, and ye shall have them. Mark eleven twenty four is talking about prayer, and it's talking about a prayer of petition. Something that you desire, you ask for it, and you be one of the prerequisites on a prayer of petition is that you must believe that you receive when you pray. Not later. If a person prays a prayer and says, Lord, I ask you to heal me, and if they were to get up, and you were to say, well, did the Lord heal you? I don't know. I'm waiting on God. No, he, <laughs> you aren't going to receive anything because, you see, you didn't believe that you received when you pray. You've got to believe that you receive when you pray at that exact moment, and then you shall, future tense, have the thing that you've desired, whether it's one second, one minute, one day, one week, whatever. You shall, future tense, have the result. But a prayer of petition, you must believe that you receive when you pray. Now, if you really believe that you receive something when you pray, why are you going to go ask for it again? If a person comes and prays for healing, if they believe that they receive, there is no reason for them to go ask for that healing again. So if you ask for something twice, if you pray a prayer petition twice, you've asked one of the two times in unbelief. Everybody see that? Now, many of us have seen that, and it's caused confusion. There's been times in services where a person, you know, has been called out through the gift of the Spirit, and I mean told exactly, this is what you have. God is healing you. 
and nobody's responded. And after the service, they'll come up and they say, I know that you were talking about me. I had exactly what you called out. I know it was me, but I've already prayed and believed that I received. And it would have been unbelief for me to come forward. I would have believed that I didn't receive the first time. No, that's not true, you see, because when the gift of the Spirit comes, the Bible says you believe that you receive when you pray, and then you shall have it. When you are in a service and somebody calls out through the gift of the Spirit something that you've had that you've already prayed and believed for, this is not a prayer of unbelief, like come up here. You didn't get it when you prayed. You come up here, we'll pray, and we'll get it. No, that's not it. This is the manifestation of what you prayed for, amen? This is it. You've been standing in faith, and the Lord says, here it is. I'm using the faith of these brothers and sisters. I'm using the supernatural gift that's flowing through a person, and right now is the manifestation of the thing that you've prayed for. And if you respond like that, it is not doubt and unbelief for you to come forward, amen? You are receiving the manifestation of the petition that you've already prayed. Also, many times people feel like they need the agreement of other people but they don't want to pray about it again because they feel like I've already prayed. It's doubt and unbelief if I pray about it again. I think that this is something that's really been detrimental. Is that most of us feel that once you've prayed about something and asked for it, you can't pray about it again. That is totally wrong. You can't pray a prayer of petition again, but there are different types of prayer. You should pray about something until you see the manifestation of the thing that you've desired. Amen? You know when the Bible says pray without ceasing out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5? That's not talking about that you pray 24 hours a day. Y'all believe that? I believe it. How are you going to pray while you're asleep? Well, that means an attitude of prayer. Well, you know, I'm not praying right now. I'm preaching. Am I breaking the scripture because I'm up ministering the word of God and I'm not praying? That's not talking about that you have to pray 24 hours a day and stay in an attitude of prayer. That's talking about that once you put your faith on the line and pray for something, don't cease. You stay with that thing and stay on top of it until you see the manifestation of the thing that you have believed for. Amen? You don't quit. Don't just let your prayer go out there and say, Well, I've prayed. Thy will be done. Whatever will be, will be. No, you've got something that you can do. We need to keep praying over things. And we're going to use some examples where Jesus, he continued to pray over things. Didn't, he didn't pray a prayer petition twice, but he continued to stand in faith over things. And you see, many times we have prayed and release some faith, but then we haven't stood in faith because we haven't understood different forms of prayer. You can only pray a prayer, a petition, one time. But after you pray that prayer of a petition, brothers and sisters, if I didn't see a manifestation, I would not go to somebody and say, pray for me. It didn't work when I prayed. Let's pray and see if it worked. No, if you do that, you blew it. You didn't believe you received when you prayed. But if you pray and believe that you receive, but also you are not willing to let your manifestation drag on out for 10 months, or whatever, you need it now. You say, I believe that I've already received, but I want to get it into manifestation right now. We need to, I need to unplug here and back up and share a lot of things that it'd take a long time to go through. I don't know how to handle that. I got a tape on what to do when your prayers seem unanswered. I don't know if we'll get on off on that or not, but you need to understand what's happening in between the time when you pray and when you see your manifestation. God gives your answer to you instantly, but... God does not give your answer to you in the physical realm. Many of you are praying for healing, and you believe that when your body is healed is when God moved. That's not true. God moved instantly, answered every prayer that you ever prayed, but he gave it to you in your spirit man, and getting it from the spirit man into the physical realm is your responsibility, not by your own power, not by your own might, not by your own works, but in obedience to the Lord, like what Marshall was sharing about, cooperating with the Lord. The Lord has done his part, and as you put yourself in agreement, you become just like a pipeline for God. 
something for the Lord to flow through. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Not according to your righteousness, not according to your holiness, but your faith, your response to what God has been doing. God flows in your life in response. Or let me say that the, the, the manifestation of the things that God is doing are manifest in your life according to the way you respond to what he has said in his word, what he's already done in the spirit realm. You see, when you pray for something, God moves instantly and it is done. It is reality in the spirit realm. But if you don't know how to respond in faith, you'll never see it manifest into the physical, but it wasn't because God didn't answer your prayer. God answered every prayer that has ever been prayed according to the word of God. If you didn't see a manifestation, it's because you didn't know how to put yourself in the right place at the right time, amen? It's because you didn't know how to respond and receive, but God was faithful and answered. Amen? That's a very short explanation of that. There's a lot more can be shared about that. But the point that I was bringing all of that up for is that when you pray a prayer petition, you believe that you receive instantly, but then what do you do? You ought to continue to pray about the thing, but not with a prayer petition. That would be doubt and unbelief. You have to believe that you receive. You received it in your spirit realm instantly. But if you can see fighting, Satan fighting against you, Brothers and sisters, if you've got a sickness in your body and if you pray for healing, many of us have had this kind of attitude that when we get a prayer, we just try and start ignoring the physical realm. Just completely forget it. Now that's more faith than responding in doubt and unbelief to the physical. Everybody follow that? Let's take, for instance, if you had a ward on your hand, if you prayed for a ward on your hand, and if you were going to look at the ward on your hand right after your prayer, to see whether or not God answered your prayer, don't do it. Strap the thing behind your back, amen. Refuse to look at it. You don't go by what you see. You go by what you believe. Now, that's the truth. But many people, when that truth is said, they respond to it this way. They pray, and then they try and ignore it. They try and forget it. They get their mind off on football, who knows what else, amen. Go to getting carnal if you have to. Do anything that you want to do. Just get your mind off of what, you, you know, you've prayed for. Try and ignore it. Ignoring something is not faith. It may be more faith than responding in doubt and unbelief, but the highest form of faith is the kind of faith that can pray and say, I believe that I'm healed in the name of Jesus. Boom, look right at your hand. And if your hand doesn't look healed, you don't waver and say, I don't believe God didn't do it. You know, you know that you know that you know God answered your prayer. And that physical realm, it's not enough just to believe that God answered your prayer and let the physical drag on. Amen? You sit there and say, look, if God answered my prayer, there's no good reason why the physical shouldn't respond to it and shouldn't bow the knee and shouldn't begin to reflect what God has done. And you can look right at that thing and start praying a prayer of intercession. You can go get a prayer of agreement. You can continue to pray about it and keep putting pressure on the physical realm, on the devil, until you see that a lot of us have had Satan just continue to dominate us because we've been ignoring him thinking that it's faith. It may be more faith than where you came from, but let's not stop there and camp, amen, halfway through with the thing. We need to go on under perfection. The Lord Jesus, he dealt with a person in Mark, the eighth chapter. We might as well look at this. I've been trying to hold off on getting into this so I could lay a better foundation, but I'd, I'm going to have to do this. Mark, the eighth chapter. Here's an example. And again, let me, let me say that in Mark, the eighth chapter, this is not specifically prayer. The Lord Jesus, this is one of those instances like Mark chapter 11, verse 23 is talking about. He just spoke concerning these things, but yet it's the exact same principle. He was believing God for a healing. 
And so prayer was involved in it, although the actions listed here show uh, not a prayer but an action. In verse 22 it says, And he cometh to Bethsaida, and they bring a blind man unto him, and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand, and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes, and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. And he looked up and said, I see man as trees walking. After that, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell it to any in the town. Now, this is an example where Jesus ministered healing to a man who was blind. And after he prayed for this man, he did not ignore the physical. He turned and said, You tell me what you see. Now, most of us, or let me say that some of us, would think that that would be doubt and unbelief. Because once you pray, you aren't supposed to be moved by the physical. You aren't supposed to be moved in doubt and unbelief. But brothers and sisters, there's nothing wrong with responding to the physical if you respond to it in faith. Now see, much faith teaching has been against responding to the physical in doubt and unbelief. I am totally in agreement with that. But you can get to a point where you don't respond in doubt and unbelief. You can respond in faith. Amen? And that's superior to ignoring something. The Lord didn't ignore this man. Now, the principle is here. There was an instance where Jesus told the lepers, I believe in Luke, the 10th chapter, to go show themselves to the priest. That was an act of faith. They were lepers. And when you went and showed yourself to the priest, that was a ritual that you went through to obtain. They pronounced you healed, and you can enter back into society no longer as a leper. So when Jesus told them to go show themselves to the priest, this was a step of faith. Go act on it. You've been healed. And the Bible says as they went, they were healed. There is a progressive healing right there. There is a principle, and all of us have seen progressive healings that have started and that have come over a gradual period of time. Now, that's true, and that does happen. There is a principle here, and Jesus could have ministered to this man, laid hands on him, and have walked off and have left him and said, I refuse to be moved by what I see. He could have done that, and brothers and sisters, the healing power of God would have continued to function in that man. And if, he had, if that man had have stood in faith and not have wavered, he could have been healed over a gradual period of time. But the Lord Jesus chose not to do it that way and praise God for it. See, this man, in the first place, wasn't born again. He did not have the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He did not have revelation knowledge of the Word of God. I mean, he had <laughs> three strikes against him to start with. And on top of that, the Lord took this man apart from the multitude. He did that for a reason. He didn't do it just because he wanted to go on a stroll through the country. Amen. He, had, he was busy. He took this man apart because of the doubt and the unbelief of the people round about. We find continually that Jesus put out everybody when he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He put out everybody but the father and the mother and three of his disciples. He made everybody else leave because their doubt and unbelief could hinder even the sinless, perfect Son of God operating. Y'all see that? Mark the 6th chapter, verse 5, says that in Jesus' hometown he could do no mighty works. Not that he didn't want to do, but that he couldn't do. And it shows you in Matthew the 13th chapter, verse 58, talking about the same example, it says it was because of their unbelief. Their unbelief hindered the Lord Jesus from operating. So Bethsaida was the worst place Jesus had ever been to. Jesus said concerning Bethsaida, he said, Woe unto thee, Jehorazan, woe unto thee, Bethsaida, for if the mighty works that had been done in Tyre and Sidon had been done in you, they would have repented long time ago in sackcloth and ashes. So Bethsaida was one of the most corrupt, ungodly, unbelieving places Jesus had ever been. The reason he took this man by the hand and led him apart from the multitude is because he could not have ministered healing to that man in the midst of that doubt and unbelief. Y'all see that? 
That's the truth. You've got to separate yourself from doubt and unbelief. That ought to minister to some of you that are sitting in these old dead churches. <laughs> Amen. I won't say much more about that. So he took this man apart from the multitude and prayed for him, and he realized that there were hindrances still against this man. Even after this man was totally whole, what did he tell that man? Don't go into the town and don't tell it to anybody in the town. Why? Because Jesus didn't want anybody to know. No, Jesus gave us commandments to testify. But this man was not established enough. It was possible for him to lose his healing. Some people aren't aware of this, but you can lose a healing. Jesus told a man one time, he says, see, I mean, he said, go and sin no more lest a worse thing come upon you. It's possible, brothers and sisters, for you to lose something that God has given you because it's got to be kept by faith. And this is one reason that I believe that it's so important that God's people, see, God's raising up tremendous teaching ministries today. Teaching is not superior to any of the other gifts that God gives, but teaching has been neglected. So we see a lot of emphasis on teaching today because it's been so neglected. We've had healing ministries around for some period of time, but the fallacy with the healing ministry, even in Catherine Kuhlman's ministry, which as far as we can tell, had one of the greatest far-reaching healing ministries touching people of anybody in modern days, by Catherine Kuhlman's own estimates, 95% of the miraculous healings did not stick. People lost it. Over 95% of the people who were miraculously healed lost that healing and those things came back upon them. And that's by her own estimates in her ministry. The reason for that is because they were receiving healings through the supernatural gift that operated in her life, they were healed. Now somebody would say, well, that shows that only 5% of those healings were real. No, it doesn't show that only 5% were real. That showed only 5% were able to keep what they got. They were real, valid healings, but those people weren't taught and nurtured in the Word of God. They were open prayed for the devil. And you see, this is a problem. God gives somebody a gift of healing. And brothers and sisters, it is very easy to sit there and operate in what God has given you and get the people excited, amen. You can have some tremendous services operating in the gifts of the Spirit, but it's kind of hard to sit down and teach them how to sit there and get it grounded and established on the inside of them. The easiest way, did you know most people, I have a lot of people come to me that want deliverance from demonic stuff. And there is a time to speak to demons and cast them out. That is a valid ministry, praise God. Jesus did it. We do it. We've seen a lot of demons come out of people. Just recently, I think during the month of January, we saw two or three people, I mean, that weren't just oppressed, discouraged, or anything else. They was possessed, and the demons rent and cried, screaming and hollering and coming out of them. That's a valid ministry, and I believe in that. But did you know that the best form of deliverance is when you get a person chuck full of the Word of God. The Bible says you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. When that person receives the Word, brothers and sisters, they'll be able to keep that deliverance because it was the Word inside of them that produced it. When I lay hands on you and minister deliverance to you, if you've left the root that allowed that demon in your life in the first place, until you uproot that thing, it'll spring up again and you'll have it come back on you seven times worse. The best form of deliverance is through the Word of God, but that's not the way most people would like to receive it. They want somebody to come in and lay hands on you, wave your hand across you, and you, all of a sudden you're instantly mature and free in the Lord. Most Christians are looking for some kind of magical things. And brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people out today that are ministering in the gifts of the Spirit that I can't say that they're wrong, but I'm saying that it's making the body of Christ lopsided because they aren't teaching people how to receive and how to keep what they're getting. And they may be ministering valid things. I'm not against that ministry, but did you know you can get lopsided in something that God's given you? 
And there are people that have had a gift of healing that have taken national preeminence today. They've operated in the gifts of healing. They don't know. Come here from sick. I'm about faith. Amen? So, well, who are you to say that? I'm nobody in podunk corner, but that's what the Word of God's saying. Amen? It doesn't matter who I am. That's the truth of the Word of God. And there are people that because of the great healing ministries that they've got are up trying to tell people the Word of God and teach them and they don't know the Word of God and they're causing all kinds of strife and division in the body of Christ over a lot of things. They ought to keep their mouth shut, amen? Amen. Well, anyway, that's a whole other thing. They ought to recognize what their ministry is and we ought to submit ourselves one to another. You know, I encourage people. I, believe, I don't know exactly all the gifts that I've got in my life. I know that I definitely have been called to be a teacher. I have definitely seen a lot of the gifts of the Spirit. I see a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge function nearly every time I ever minister. And I've seen the gifts of healing function on occasion and stuff. I've had some people tell me I got the gifts of healing and the gift of miracles. I don't know if I do. If I do, I'm going to receive it, amen. But God's going to have to make it clear to me. But I encourage people when I pray for them, if they still aren't having any problem, I tell them, I say, man, go find somebody with the gift of healing on their life and follow that person around, amen. Let them lay hands on you till they rub the hair off your head. Praise God. Use the gifts that God put in the body. I need to re you need to realize where you are. As far as I know, that is not my ministry. It's a ministry of healing. We've seen some great healings, but that's not my ministry. And I'd encourage people to go find somebody that does have the gifts of healing functional in their life and use it. I know that I'm not the fullness of the ministry all wrapped in one, amen, and we need to learn that. There's a person that has a gift of exhortation. This Joe Nate that's going to be at our camp meeting. That guy... Uh, I hesitate to say that. I'm good friends with Joe, so I believe that he'll understand what I'm talking about. But as far as teaching, Joe was telling me just recently that he felt like he had got out of what God told him to do because he was real close friends with Hay uh, Copeland, and Copeland's got a teaching ministry seeing great success, so Joe started teaching. And Joe told me just recently, he said he's not called to be a teacher, and he knows he's not called to be a teacher. He's an exhorter, and that's a valid ministry in Romans chapter 12, a ministry of exhortation. He told me about two months ago, he says, I'm getting back to doing what God called me to do, and that's exhorting people. And when he was here recently in Colorado Springs in Denver, it was back like the Joe Nay that we used to know back in 1970, 68. I mean, that guy, he just exhorts you. You can go in and listen to him, get pumped up and built up, and if he didn't have a title on his tape, you wouldn't know what he taught on. I mean, you can't sit down. You couldn't draw an outline on what Joe teaches, but it'll just get you pumped up. He's got a valid ministry, brothers and sisters. There's a time that when you've learned knowledge through, say, Marshall and me teaching, that you need somebody to come along and build a fire under you to get what you've learned going. That's a valid ministry, and it's important. But you see, Joe's going to miss it if he starts trying to be what I am, and I'm going to miss it if I start trying to be what he is. We need to learn that, praise God, we need to function together, and we need to complement each other, and we shouldn't all try and hog the whole thing and be Copeland, Hagen, swaggered, everybody rolled into one. Be yourself, amen, supernaturally natural, and God will bless you for it. How come I got off on all of this? Where, where was I? Somebody tell me. <laughs> well, we was talking about the blind man a long time ago, weren't we? I don't know how I got off on all of this. Praise God. Well, we were talking about the difference, I believe, in the gifts of healing and things. People, you see, have gotten lopsided because they see such great results through the gifts of healing. They get to where they emphasize that, operate exclusively in it, and have left out nurturing the people. The Word of God is the greatest healing that you're ever going to receive. The Bible says out of Proverbs chapter 4 that the Word is health unto all of your flesh. And so the Lord is trying to put things, see, in a proper perspective today. We believe in healing, 
But now the Lord is trying to get the word across and let people start getting established in the word. There is a time and a place for the gifts of healing, but they are only for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come together in the unity of the faith. You're supposed to be growing to a point that, praise God, you don't have to wait until a man with an anointing comes to town. You can get it through the word of God. Now, don't anybody turn around on the other hand and start looking down your nose at somebody that operates in the gifts of healing because what happens until you do get mature in the word? Do you sit there and just struggle and die? No, that's what the gifts are for. If you're in a position where you aren't there yet, know where you are. Don't be so stubborn and proud that you won't go to somebody and say, I need help. See, there's the other extreme. There's some people that say, well, I ought to be able to do it for myself. So they're sitting there struggling, dying, fighting battles that there's no reason that they should fight because we've got a body. And if you aren't there yet, go to somebody with some supernatural ministry gifts in their life and say, help me. I'm getting in the Word, but I'm not there yet. I don't want to die before I get there. Praise God. Help me. And let them lay hands on you and get you over the hump and get in the Word. That's not a substitute, though, for you being in the Word. It's just something to help us until we are perfected and until we are mature. Y'all see that? So anyway, back to Mark the 8th chapter, Jesus laid hands on this man and he realized that Satan was fighting against this healing and that he could have lost this healing. And so instead of letting the man go, he said, tell me what you see. He did not say that for the purpose of saying, well, I don't know if it worked or not, did it? <laughs> if he had done that, that would have been doubt and unbelief. Jesus didn't do it for that purpose. He knew that when he commanded that healing into that man, the healing power of God went, but he also was aware that Satan can hinder God's perfect will, that the doubt and the unbelief of the surrounding and even of that man could affect that prayer, and he wanted to know where it was as far as being manifest into the physical. He knew God had moved. He wanted to know if that healing had come complete. Now, that's not doubt and unbelief. Jesus didn't operate in doubt and unbelief. Jesus was not moved by the natural in unbelief, he was responding to it in faith. Y'all see this? And that man said, I see man, his trees walking. Well, even a carnal person would have got excited over that, amen, a person that had never seen before, instantly able to see man, his trees walking. Even a carnal person could tell the healing power of God had gone into him. So Jesus didn't say, oh, praise God, let's pray another time. Maybe it'll work this time. No. He knew that it had already worked, but there is, a, there is a doctrine of laying on of hands. You can transmit the anointing of God physically. That's the reason we lay hands on people. That's the reason I like to lay hands on you instead of just sit here and say, receive it. You can do it that way if you're where you should be. But did you know it's just like you get an old dead car battery? If you got a dead battery, you drive another car up that's got a good battery and put a jumper cable between the two, amen, and pump up that dead battery. If you're having trouble receiving your answer from God, come up here and let me agree with you, amen, and I'll jump my charge over to you. We can transmit the anointing of God. You can do it. It's transmittable. That's how in uh, Acts, the 19th chapter, verse 11, uh, Paul passed handkerchiefs and aprons from his body and diseases departed from people and demons fled out of them. How come that happened? You can put the anointing of God physically into a cloth. It'll transfer through a cloth, just like when Jesus was walking along and a woman came and touched the hem of his garment and the virtue flowed right through him, through his robe into that woman. The anointing of God is a physical. I, I can feel it. Now, I don't go by feelings, but I can feel the anointing of God. I don't, if I don't feel anything, it doesn't make me believe it's not flowing, but I'm saying that under certain times you can feel it. You can feel the anointing of God. It is a real force. It is not just an attitude or something that's mystical or abstract. It is real. It's valid, and it can be transmitted even through claws. 
and through things like that. So when Jesus laid hands on this man a second time, all he was doing was giving that guy like a second dose. He knew that the healing power of God was already in him, but he laid hands on him a second time not to move God. God already moved, amen, but to move the devil. Let that virtue and power continue to flow through that man, and praise God, it was effectual. Now, as I said, he wasn't actually operating in prayer right here, but the same principles apply to prayer. And that is that if you pray a prayer, and a petition, and if you believe that you receive instantly, if you can handle it, if you've grown to a point that you can confront the physical, and instead of saying, oh, no, I didn't receive, but if you can look at it and say, I know that I received, and I don't know what it looks like, I don't know why the flesh looks the way that it does, but I know God gave me my answer, and I command this flesh to bow its knee and come into submission to the power of God. Now, if you can confront the natural in that way, then you can do exactly like Jesus. You can ask the physical what it's feeling like. Like when I pray for a person, I say, do you have any pain now? I don't do that to see if they got healed. I know God's healing has come. I know that God moved because we acted on his word. We, God's already moved to heal them, and we put it into practice because we acted on it. And the only reason I ask is to see, are you having trouble with this? Is Satan hindering you? Are you having problems believing it and receiving it? If they are, I'll help them. Amen. I'll hit you where it hurt. I'll help you act on it. Some way or another, we're going to get it out and manifest because we aren't waiting on God to manifest the healing. God's waiting on us to believe it. And I can help encourage you, and we don't have to sit there and let these things drag on, see, for a prolonged period of time. And we can start operating in a prayer of intercession. Now, see, this is important. Once you've prayed a prayer petition, if you aren't seeing the physical manifest itself, don't think, well, it didn't work. It did work. You've already received your answer from God, but you've got to continue to put pressure on the devil to get the thing out of the spiritual realm into the natural realm. And you can do that through a number of different things. A, prayer, a petition can only be prayed one time, but the prayer of intercession then should come into play. Intercession means standing in the gap. And, of course, intercession is basically for another person. When you're praying for another person, you pray for them, and if you don't see the instantaneous results, it doesn't mean God didn't move. It just means that the people have not yet put themselves in a position where they've responded to the Lord the way that they should. God moved to answer your prayer. And so you start interceding for that person. Now, it's basically for another person, but also intercession can be for yourself. The Bible says out of uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that likewise the Spirit itself helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. You can start an intercession for yourself. If you've prayed for a healing for yourself, and if you aren't seeing the physical manifestation, you can start operating in groaning in the Spirit, and the Spirit will make intercession through you for yourself. And you can intercede about that thing from now until the Lord comes if you have to. And that's not a prayer of unbelief. You only prayed and asked for it one time. But you're praying now that the devil is not hindering this thing, that all hindrances, anything that's against this prayer is wiped out, and you're standing in faith. And now, brothers and sisters, we need to do that. And because we haven't done this, because we just pray a prayer and kind of let it slide, the devil has been able to hold on and fight us and do a lot of things that he shouldn't have been able to do. In the ninth chapter of the book, a tenth chapter of the book of Daniel, we find an instance where Daniel prayed a prayer, and his prayer was hindered for 21 days. Satan hindered it, is what the scripture says. I'm going through these things real quick. Amen. Got a lot of territory to cover. But Daniel's prayer was hindered for a number of different reasons. I can't say that I know all of the reasons. I don't know all of the reasons why our prayers get hindered, but it's important that you realize that Satan can fight against your prayers and prolong them. God is not the one that's prolonging your answers to prayer. Amen. 
Now, there is some variation in that, and that is that there are certain times. The Bible says that you, if you're called to the ministry, you aren't supposed to be a novice. You may be wanting a worldwide ministry right now, but you've got to be faithful in a few things before you can be ruler over much, and it's not time. But it is God's time for healing because he's already healed you. It's the same thing as like salvation. There is not a certain time that God picks for you to get saved. Like a lot of people say, I don't know why God let me wander through the wilderness and get into so much drugs and sin and then save me. He must have wanted me to have a great testimony. God didn't do that. You're the one that rejected God's leading and you got into drugs and you got into that stuff. God was willing for you to be saved from the day one, amen? There's certain things that are already past tense. It is God's will for you to be healed now, amen? It's already done and you don't have to wait on healing. And prosperity, it is God's will for you to prosper now, but God's going to use people, so there is a time element involved in that. There are some things like you've got to sow seed before you can reap a harvest. There's a few little things about time element, but basically speaking, we aren't waiting on God. We're waiting on ourselves to get in line and get the devil off of the thing. Daniel's prayer was hindered by the devil, and there's a lot of reasons for it, but one of the main reasons was Daniel didn't have authority over the devil. Daniel couldn't stand and rebuke the devil. He had no authority to rebuke the devil. He was an old covenant man. He was not born again. His spirit was not superior to the devil. It was inferior. It was in bondage. But under the New Testament, we have authority over the devil. And under the New Testament, we, if we were in Daniel's situation, could have prayed and have said, Lord, I know that you've already answered my prayer. I'm not waiting on you. Where's the problem? Through the gifts of the Spirit, he could have shown you. The Prince of Persia is fighting against this thing. Rebuke him and get him off of it. And you could have stood up, stood up and said, Prince of Persia, in the name of Jesus, get off my prayer. And you could have had it the first day. Because it shows us when the man Gabriel came and spoke to Daniel, Gabriel said, from the first day that you prayed, God sent me. But the prince of Persia had fought against him, a demonic power. There's a prince of America. There's a prince of Colorado. There's a prince of Texas. There's a prince of any place. There are demonic powers assigned to places. We're fighting not with flesh and blood, but spiritual wickedness in high places, is what it says out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We, if we would realize these things, we could start taking our armor, and through intercession, we could start doing battle with those things. Amen? So does that help you to see a difference between a prayer, a petition, and a prayer of intercession, it is not wrong to continue to pray over something. Matter of fact, it's beneficial to keep praying over something, but you've got to understand that you can't ask for something. You can't pray a prayer petition more than one time. But you can intercede until you see the thing come to pass. Now, there's a lot of other things. I tell you, boy, you can minister a long time on this, but out of people, when you start talking about intercession, they think that through their intercession, they're moving God, that they're bombarding the gates of heaven. Brothers and sisters, intercession is not changing God. Intercession is making God's, the things that he's already done, take preeminence over Satan's hindrances and the things that Satan would throw in the way. Intercession changes things, changes people, and changes demonic things, but it doesn't move God. You need to really understand this, that you're never going to get God to do anything except what he's already done. Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, and he's not dying for your sins today. If he hadn't already made an atonement for you, you're out of luck. If he hasn't already healed you, you'll never get healed. You aren't waiting on God to heal you. You aren't waiting on God to prosper you. You aren't waiting on God to do anything. He's already done it. You, through your intercession and praise and all of these things, are not making God do anything. Intercession changes us. As you stay before the Lord and as you say, I hang on to this thing, I have been healed, I refuse to move off of it, you're building yourself up through this intercession. You're increasing your faith, amen. 
and you are keeping that prayer alive. And if there are demonic hindrances, like in the 10th chapter of the book of Daniel, you are keeping the power of God on the battlefield, amen, fighting those forces. But the moment you withdraw and say, well, I wonder why I hadn't got it, you cancel all the angelic orders. <laughs> they just have to return home because you just wiped out your prayer through your doubt and unbelief. So it's important that you stay in prayer over it because it's building you up and it's also releasing faith and God uses your faith to bring things into manifestation. The Bible says out of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Substance means physical evidence. Substance is physical, tangible things. Faith gives substance to spiritual things. As you release faith, God is going to take your substance. Like if you wanted to go build a house, you've got to get some building materials, right? That house isn't going to be any better than the building materials that you got. If you build it out of wood, hay, and stubble, you're in a world of hurt. <laughs> it's not going to last very good. And did you know that God uses your faith to bring things into physical manifestation? If you put a little tiny bit of faith out, guess what you're going to get? You're going to get a little tiny answer, amen. Or it's going to be hindered at the very best. The Bible says, according to your faith, so be it. Your faith is involved in the Lord bringing these things into manifestation. Amen? Y'all see that? So it's important that you stay before the Lord in prayer. For one thing, it builds you up as you pray in the Holy Ghost. Now, Jude, verse 20 says that you are building up yourself on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Man, as you pray in the Holy Ghost and operate in intercession, you're building yourself up. As your faith level rises, praise God, the intensity in the spiritual realm rises and your answer gets closer and closer to manifest, manifest, manifesting, however you say that. Amen? Praise God. Y'all see that? So it's important that you pray over things. An example of what we're talking about is that, like, for instance, concerning the weather. When you go to praying over the weather, there's a lot of things involved in praying in the weather because the Bible shows us that sin and weather are directly related. Directly related. Many, there's just literally hundreds of instances in the Old Covenant where drought, and things like that are directly associated with the sins of the people. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 is one of them, where he says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And as you continue to read in the next verse, when he's talking about healing their land, he's talking about that he'll send rain after their sins have been purged and cleansed. Sin directly affects the weather. A lot of things. The Bible says that the ground would not yield its increase unto man any longer because of the sin that Cain had committed. Sin directly affects your crops. Sin affects a lot of things. Now, a lot of people aren't aware of that, but sin affects the physical world. And the calamities, like, for instance, the earthquakes and things that come to pass in the last time, a lot of people believe that God's the one that's ordained that these things increase. If you read that in Matthew, the 24th chapter, the Lord isn't sending all of these earthquakes and tragedies and famines and distresses. He said that they would come. He didn't say that he's sending them. He just said that they'd come. The reason is because the love of many is going to wax cold and sin will abound. As sin abounds, you find that things begin to get corrupted and things just begin to fall apart. Everybody see that? So when you're praying over the weather, you're dealing with sins of not only yourself but of other people. There are a lot of hindrances that are involved in this. So when we first came to like Pritchett, Colorado, when I first came there, the state of Colorado had had a drought for, I don't know, a year or two. The reservoirs were down. People were talking about rationing water. And I mean, out in southeastern Colorado, it was in a critical state. 
it was really dangerous. Those people had not had water, and they were, they were losing lots of money. Well, this one real good friend of mine, Kenneth Day, he was one of our first board members on our deal. He was a real good friend, and he had a little farm that he had. It was just small. I think it was something like 45 acres, but to him, that was heaven on earth. He loved that. God gave it to him. He prayed over He planted his wheat and was believing for 35 bushels an acre. And he had never gotten more than 10 bushels an acre. I mean, he was releasing his faith. And it was going through a drought. And it got so bad that finally he says, I've got to harvest that wheat. And if I do, he said, I'll be doing good to get 10 bushels an acre or it's got to have rain. Now, we'd been praying that it would have rain. We'd been operating in the Scripture and praying over it that we'd get some rain for some time. And every afternoon the clouds had come in and I mean, they'd get black. Lightning would come and three or four drops would fall. <laughs> That's about all. We could see that our prayers were effectual, that, that things were happening, but we weren't seeing the desired result. We needed more than three or four drops. And finally, when he came to me and said, it's to a critical point in three days' time, I've got to make a decision to go one way or the other. I, and he was really bummed out by it. It was really bothering him. And finally, I said, well, Kenneth, I said, I've prayed about it, but I said, honestly, we've been so busy doing other things, I haven't had time to intercede over this and groan in the Spirit, like what we was talking about a minute ago, to deal with the hindrances that Satan has put over it. And I said, I'm sorry, and I'm just going to, I said, I'm going to start fasting and agreeing with you. This was Saturday morning, and I said, starting at noon, we're fasting, we're going to enter into intercession, we're going to groan in the Spirit over this, and we're going to break those hindrances over this weather. And I said, there's no reason that you've got to take less than what God ordained for it. And so we started into agreement, and really... I had been so busy and stuff that it took Saturday night for me just to get myself back in the place that I should be, getting in the Word, calming myself down, going through and meditating on some things. And I didn't pray too much Saturday night. Sunday morning, I got up real early, and I went down to the church building, and I got down there and started operating in intercession, groaning in the Spirit. And as we did, I looked out the window, and here came the clouds, big old black clouds. Now, they never came in until the evening, but this was Sunday morning they were coming in. And I got excited, but I didn't quit interceding because we didn't need three or four drops or clouds, amen. We needed some rain. And so I started interceding, and I stayed there, and it started raining. I could hear it beating on that old tin roof. And I just kept praying and kept at it until all the way up until church time started that afternoon at 2.30. And it rained for two and a half days straight, just a little steady rain, exactly what they needed. Boy, I mean, the crops came on strong. And things began to work, and it was perfect. There wasn't one drop of runoff. It was just right so that everything soaked exactly in the ground. And brothers and sisters, it worked. And I'm convinced that if we had not have interceded, we would have got our answer sooner or later, probably after they harvested the crops. Because, you see, Satan was fighting us, and we needed to intercede and to break some things that were beyond my understanding. I still don't know what all of the hindrances were. I know that the sins of the area were one of the factors, but there's probably a thousand and one things I still don't know what we were dealing with, where the hindrances were. And that's the purpose of groaning in the Spirit, is to help your infirmity when you don't know what to pray for as you ought. As you groan in the Spirit, you start breaking these demonic things down, and you may never know until you go to be with the Lord what you've dealt with, but through that intercession, the Holy Ghost knows what is the mind of the Father, and He prays the will of God perfectly. And, man, he'll deal with where the hindrances are, and you'll see those things broke down and overcome. And we can start seeing things come into manifestation. Amen? That's a form of prayer that most people have not operated in. Groaning in the Spirit is a strong form of intercession. Groaning in the Spirit is not praying in tongues. Amen? A lot of people think groaning in the Spirit and praying in tongues are synonymous, but out of Romans chapter 8, verse 26, it says it's groanings which cannot be uttered. And if it can't be uttered, that means it's not praying in tongues. 
And I'm aware that there's some people that say that that means can't be uttered in articulate speech. I'm not trying to take issue with people, but I don't know the Greek, and you don't either. In my Bible, it says it can't be uttered, amen, and I believe that's what it is. And you can see Jesus in the 11th chapter of John. He groaned in the Spirit twice, and his were not speaking in tongues. It couldn't be uttered. It was a groaning. It's a different form of intercession. Now, speaking in tongues is intercession. It's a high form of intercession, but so is groaning in the Spirit. They are separate, and many people have never operated in that, and it's something that you need to learn about, and you need to use it. Can you turn it on whenever you want? Well, yes and no. You don't control it. it it's the Spirit does the groaning. But it's there anytime you need it. Anytime you have an infirmity, it's there. So you don't have to wait on the Lord to do it. If you need it, it's there. Get with it. Amen. Anytime you need it, it's there. You don't have to wait and wonder, is the Lord going to give me this groaning in the Spirit and intercession? Man, if you need it, it's there. Praise God. But no, you can't just drum it up whenever you want to. And let me also put it... Uh, some, uh, I hadn't got time to minister on all this. we got a tape on groaning in the Spirit that you ought to write and get. But let me also do this, that the Pentecostals have seen a truth about groaning in the Spirit. They call it travailing. G uh, Paul talked about travailing in pain together until Christ be formed within the person. That's talking about groaning in the Spirit, a fo high form of intercession, and it's important. And because uh, the Pentecostals ran across this, they call it praying through, a lot of different terminology that's involved in it. Uh, and they've seen results from it, but it's been corrupted, and many times people think that this groaning in the Spirit is wailing, and you've heard people go into wailing where they are just, I mean, eerie, wailing and bawling and squalling and carrying on. That's your reaction to it. It is a groaning which cannot be uttered. And when the Bible says it cannot be uttered, that means it cannot be uttered. Now, does that mean that you're wrong if you make an outward manifestation? No, it's not that you're wrong. Like this friend of mine, Joan A., the first one I ever heard talk about this, when he talked about groaning in the Spirit, he got down on the floor and showed you how to do it. You had to get down just like him and grab your middle and go, oh, and he, he had classes where you'd get down on the floor and groan in the Spirit. Now, brothers and sisters, that wasn't the Holy Ghost groaning. That was Joe groaning. And there's nothing wrong with Joe groaning. If Joe wants to groan, let him groan, amen. There's nothing wrong with that. But that wasn't the Holy Ghost doing it. That was him responding to the Holy Ghost. Now, if somebody came up and said, Brother, you're out of order doing that. He's not out of order. Do you know there's nothing wrong with dancing? But you know, many people say, I'm dancing in the Spirit. The Spirit just made me do it. The Spirit doesn't make you dance. The Spirit doesn't dance like that, amen. He'd dance better than you dance. That's you doing the dancing in response like it says out of uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 46. Mary says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced. Her spirit rejoiced and her soul got in in response to what was going on on the inside. If you go to dancing in the Spirit, that's not the Holy Ghost dancing. That's you dancing. Amen. If you lift your hands, that's not the Holy Ghost lifting his hands. That's you lifting your hands in response to what the Holy Ghost is doing on the inside. And it's right, it's proper, and it's in order. Amen. But where the bondage comes is when somebody who was a real strong intercessor, maybe their response to groaning in the Spirit was rolling on the floor and ooing and on, and they got results, so somebody else tried to copy the physical manifestation thinking that that was the groaning in the Spirit. That wasn't. That was that person's response to it. And they, they got, see, out of the groaning in the Spirit itself and went into more of a formula, a pattern of what somebody else had done, and it didn't work for them. 
So the reason I say that is a lot of people try, and when I talk about groaning in the Spirit, they try and say, oh, this is what comes on me. And it may be, but lots of times it's nothing but religious junk that's come on you, just an old religious spirit that needs to get kicked out of you. Amen? I can't draw the line. I can't make the distinction. I can't tell you if yours is the Lord or if it's your religious background. I don't know. And I don't know that it's my business to tell you that, but I do think that it's important that you realize that not everything people call groaning in the Spirit is groaning in the Spirit. I can groan in the Spirit over something and never let anybody know that I'm doing anything because it's down inside. It can be controlled. If you can't control what you're calling intercession, you need to get it cast out of you. Amen? Because the Bible says out of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I believe it's verse 32, that the spirits of the prophets are subject unto the prophets. That means that your spirit never makes you do anything. It will guide you. It'll direct you. But if you get to where you can't control, you're speaking in tongues, you're praying in the Spirit, you're groaning in the Spirit, then it's not God that's doing it for you. There's people who come to our meetings and they just get beside themselves, oh, hallelujah, and singing and hollering and carrying on, saying that it's God. It's not God. If you can't control it, it is not God. Now, you may not want to control That's a different thing if you just want to be submissive to the Lord. But if it cannot be controlled, it's not God flowing through you. Amen? So that might help you. Praise God. Well, I tell you, there's a lot more to share on this. I don't know how far we're going to get on it. But I, I think i got one more shot at you before the camp meeting's over. But anyway, if you'll take some of these things that we've shared about prayer, and if you will take them and meditate on them, we just barely touched them. We didn't go into depth in any of them. I believe it'll really help you to start praying over things and seeing your answers come into manifestation. It'll really be beneficial to you. Praise God. Let's stand up and pray. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace.